0: Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagel, an orthodontist, and tonight we have a general dentist with us, a good friend of mine. We go way back to college, Dr. Grant Dasher. He'll be teaching us on the worldview of postmodernism. So we'll talk about modernism and then postmodernism, and then I think we'll ask the question, what are we culturally? Are we modernist, are we postmodernist, are we somewhere in between? I think it's a very interesting question to ask. Um, I think you'll be familiar with postmodernism. It's certainly familiar both in uh, inside and outside the church. And I think it's an interesting week because this is very different from the last the last few weeks that we've done on something like Islam or Christianity or even naturalism. Postmodernism is something that sort of invades all these ways of thinking, and so it is a worldview or a way by which you see your world. But certainly, it's it's different. It's uh, and I think culturally speaking, something that encompasses. Uh, pretty much all our culture in some way or another. So I will let Grant get started right now with his lesson on postmodernism.
1: So will and Caitlin, were you here? Were you at church when I taught this lesson? So you'll have to hear a lot of the same jokes, so I apologize in advance. Um, but uh, so I do want to preface like preface this lesson with these are a lot of my opinions. So this is like a like an expositional or expository teaching of like luke or anything in the bible so like this is just kind of the way that i view this subject um and so it, it could be totally bogus and maybe six months from now i'll totally disagree with everything that i'm saying today um because i probably wouldn't have agreed with what i'm saying now uh a year ago <laughs> yeah so, so just keep that in mind. I, I'm going to try and teach this. And hopefully, w- what you gain from this is just maybe a better understanding of what postmodernism is and maybe, maybe how it plays out in our society. And then maybe just you start to think about the influence that, that postmodern thinking has um, on your friends. Because that, that's ultimately like why you discuss these things. Like you want to be able to, to understand what it is that motivates the people around you and maybe have an impact on them. And like, uh, you know, uh, William Lane Craig talks a lot about pre-evangelism. So like before you can get to a point where you can like actually talk about you know, Jesus's death and resurrection, like there are a lot of things for a lot of people that have to, to come before that. Like, there, you know, if you start there with a lot of people, like there you're, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. So you have to pre-evangelize just like you would have to, you know, there, there are certain things you have to do, like in farming, to prepare the ground before you, before you plant the seed. And so, um, so I really like that idea of pre-evangelizing, and I think that's where this information is important. Because to be able to, uh, to, to evangelize you have, or just to have an impact, like to be able to let your light shine, you have to understand where culture is. And, and um, so I certainly don't have like a, uh, like a perfect grasp on, what, on where culture is, um, but I, it is something that I think a lot about. And, um, and hopefully what this does is just you just get the, the ball rolling on, like, what do you think about kind of where we are as a culture and what motivates people? So that being said, um, postmodernism. So what is postmodernism? It's, it's what comes after what? Modernism, right? Yeah, of course. That's the definition of postmodernism. It's what comes after modernism, right? Um, it's maybe a little more detail than that. But. Um, what is modernism? Anyone anyone wanna take a stab at that one? It's on your paper. It's on your It's on your, it's on your paper. All right. So, I, I, I before we get into what postmodernism is, I think let's spend a little time talking about what modernism is. So, like, would you guys agree that you hear a lot hear the word postmodern a lot more than you hear the word modern? No, I'm I don't, Well, let me say it this way we hear the word modern all the time but i mean in modern in the context of like a philosophy do you would you agree that you hear a lot more about postmodernism than you do modernism yeah because it's kind of like the it's kind of like the like in the church i think we've perceived post post as being like this big um like this big boogeyman that that we've had to fight against um for a long time and, and that we've kind of like really forgotten about modernism and so i think i just want to step back a little bit before we get Postmodernism and talk about what modernism is. So I remember sitting down for the first time in what was one of the hardest classes that I took. and Maybe you guys disagree, but organic chemistry I think it was pretty difficult. Um, it was up there in the top five for sure. Um, and you know we're studying these these you know carbon compounds and how they interact with other compounds. And one of the first things my professor said was he said if, if you came here for truth. You're in the wrong building. We're not learning truth here, only facts. And at the time, I didn't really know what he meant by that. I was like, oh, it sounds a little bit contradictory to me. Um, And I thought if something is truthful, then it's factual and and vice versa. But I, I later realized that I think he was just kind of laying his cards on the table. He wanted us to know what his governing philosophy was in teaching the class. So. He was pretty old, and I don't think he was postmodern. Though no, I don't, I don't know for sure. But I, I tried to look him up online so I could, you know, use his name and tell you guys about him. Um, I made a joke about him being not postmodern, but p- posthumous. Uh, you know, it's it's not not quite as funny well, in a smaller I, group. Did not get that <laughs> joke when I wrote it out? Uh, it's pretty funny. It's pretty good. Yes, uh, posthumous, Yes, he is posthumous, I believe, That's but uh, not not. It's modern. I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> so were you in class when I, did no, this? It's funny. Okay. Anyway, I, I was No.
0: okay.
1: I worked really hard on that on I that joke. so no, I hyphenated nice. it so that it would it would make sense. Uh, yeah. so but what my presumably dead professor I I am not and I can't guarantee that he's dead, but <laughs> what I think he was trying to communicate was this idea of modernism. And it's this idea that we're we're only going to learn what can be proven with the five senses. Like that's, that's all we're gonna talk about in this class. So modernism concerns itself with that which is empirical, uh, analytical, rational, verifiable, et cetera, which are all things that are, we are like probably nodding our heads and like, that's good, that's a good thing, right? And that was the, the point of the first day of class, if you're looking for uh, some truth about a higher meaning or purpose you've come to the wrong place like that was his that was his point um, organic chemistry only deals with what can be proven with the five senses so that's modernism and that's not all bad right that's not all bad um, using empirical data and analytics embracing rational thought and verifying factual claims that all sounds Pretty good. Like those are all like those are all things that if we didn't think they were good, we probably all chose the wrong the wrong career, right? So, this emphasis on proving things scientifically led to a lot of really great developments. We we eradicated polio, which is that's a good thing, right? Um, although it's it's like this new polio disease is creeping back up, uh, which is scary. Uh, we went to the moon. That's cool. I mean, I don't, you know. Pretty neat. Um, we invented uh, YouTube channels where you can watch people play video games. Yeah. Like how amazing is that? You can just sit there and watch other people like display their skill and then and then like those people can become millionaires based off of ad revenue. It's just like watching basketball. I mean it's yeah. amazing. It's just like yeah, it is no different, no different. Um, it's maybe not that different, but um, so like you know, there have been a lot of developments because of science and empirical data. Research, and that's good. And the point is, modernism isn't all bad. Modernism has brought a lot of really good things that I'm grateful for, especially raising children. And I can take my son to the doctor and he can receive you know, some breathing treatments and, and it stops his, his asthma back and he's lived. And that's a good thing, right? It only becomes a, a problem when it leads to factual claims that can't be verified. So when modernism leads to factual claims that can't be verified, that's a problem. In other words, saying something that can't be backed up, which is the whole point of modernism, right? Factual claims must be verifiable. So when someone says something of like you know, I believe science, well, that's they're making a factual claim, but there's no empirical evidence or, or analytics to prove it. So it's not it's not verifiable. Can't prove that Christianity is something that was made up by a bunch of Middle Eastern men and women in the first century, and you see why it's a problem, right? So on the one hand, you say I only believe in science because it's verifiable, and on the other hand, you say Christianity is this myth that was created to just assuage people's guilt and to give them meaning in life, which of course isn't verifiable. Like you can't prove that. We don't. We don't. We can't know that empirically. So. that would say there's a lot of good uh, empirical data and rational argument for belief in Jesus. I think David has a great lesson on the historical evidences of the, re- of the resurrection, and I think that's a good example of that. So, but again, modernism really becomes a problem. It, it, can be, it is obviously good, but it becomes a problem when it leads to factual claims that can't be verified. Another example is when people say, well, you can't know anything unless it's proven by science you can't know anything unless it's proven by science and once again the problem is that that statement itself can't be verified you can't verify that statement so there's no experiment to prove without a shadow of a doubt that knowledge can only come from science no one has conducted this experiment and proven that knowledge only comes from science and because you can't prove it or verify it you violate your own principles for how you know things and so that's modernism at its worst. So modernism at its best is YouTube, you know, channels where you watch video games. Modernism at its worst is is fact claims about God or spirituality or morality or ethics that can't be verified. You kind of saw off the branch, you know, on which you sit. And, and at its best, at its best, modernism simply says this, and this is the point I think that my professor was trying to make. It says this that it doesn't make any claims about God or spirituality, or morals, or ethics, and that it's only concerned with things that can be experienced with the five senses. Everything else is just a matter of personal preference. So that's modernism. Let's just focus on what we know, like what we know to be true. So that opened the door for a very important question. So when you tell somebody that you know something, what's the very next question that they always ask? How do you know that? That's the next question. I, mean, I know this. Well, how do you know that? Because right? that's kind of an important question, right? How do you know that? And when you start to, que- to ask the question of how you really know something, you realize that if if knowledge is dependent upon my own ability to see things as they are, then I can't really know anything. I can't, I can't know anything. Everything is a matter of perception. Everything. And so the universe is way too large for us to for us to. For our knowledge, just to be dependent upon how we see things, um, we can't know obviously how the universe even exists in the first place if it's just dependent upon my own perception. So, for so many years, and I think especially here in America, we were we were certain that postmodernism could answer every question that mattered. You know, for a long time in America, and I think even still today. You know, we we thought this that this empirical data could answer every question that mattered. All of our problems could be solved by analyzing the data and finding a fix. And the problem is that even when you've eradicated polio, even when you've traveled into space, even when you have an almost infinite amount of entertainment at your fingertips, there's still this nagging question, which is, how do you know? How do you know things? And how do you know that what you know is true, right? There's still that nagging question. And so the answer for some became, so there's like this persistent modernism, and then the question pops up, well, how do you know? And the the answer for some became, you don't. You don't know that you know, and you can't know. You don't know anything, you can't know anything. Knowledge is an illusion, and there is no truth. That is postmodernism, that you can't know anything. So James Sire writes this. This is the book that, that you guys have been using uh, for uh, these past few few studies. He writes this. He says, There's been a movement from, one, a pre-modern concern for a just society based on revelation from a just God, to, two, a modern attempt to use universal reason as the guide to justice. Justice And, and think about the, these all these terms in the, in the context of justice, because I think that's, a, that's like really like the core of what we're talking about, like how do you know what's right and wrong and and, and how do do you achieve justice? How do we know what's just? Uh, To two, a modern attempt to use universal reason as the guide to justice. To three, a postmodern despair of any universal standards for justice. Society then moves from medieval hierarchy to enlightenment, universal democracy to postmodern privileging of the self-defining values of individuals and communities this is a formula for anarchy it's hard to think of this as progress but then post uh, prog- progress is a modern notion so the question is does this sound like us and what do y'all think does this sound like us that we've moved into this postmodern despair of any universal standards for justice like when you think about society now do, is this where we are I know that's kind of what, I, that I was say, kind of wordy. Do I need to reread that, or like, does everybody does everybody get what the yeah. what he's I would, saying? I would and,
0: say sort of. Like, um, I think that one might say that we are in a place where morality is subjective, but we don't really live that way
2: because um, we we do feel like that things are just or things are unjust. Uh, I think a really important perspective is like right here at the top of your notes, where Sire's talking about like the three different. So in, like, Western civilization, we really had, like, three dominant cultural worldviews. And so you want to say, one is the pre-modern worldview. So that's, like, number one, it's basically, like, truth and morality and what constitutes a good life was determined based on God and revelation and kind of how all that fit. And then you kind of run into the, like, the, the modern critique of a pre-modern worldview, which is we don't believe in miracles anymore, we've invented science, we can conquer the whole world. And like Grant point out that's a very America was very like engrossed, in that. so like like the revolutionary era, that all happened right at the height of modernism. So we're trying to create the perfect political system and use science and reason to make our world better. And um, so where the pre-modern worldview was critiqued by modernism, I, I do think it, it's helpful to say that modernism didn't quite get the whole story either, because you you can't prove everything. And so now we're in like this postmodern place whatever that means but saying modernism doesn't work in a whole host of areas about creating an acceptable worldview partly because we can't know everything and so now where are we now we're we're after modernism but is our whole culture postmodern I think that's an interesting question would you say that's like the is, is like moral relativism is that what arises out of that, I, that concept
1: that like you can't know anything so it's whatever works it's Yeah. Yeah. So is that how are are we morally relativistic in America?
0: Well we absolutely think we are. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: I mean we don't have bumper stickers that say like don't coexist. I, I bet actually there is one that says that. Yeah, there probably I is. Mean, <laughs>
1: there probably is. <laughs> and that's it. <a>, that's probably <laughs> <is>. it. <laughs> it's not on a Prius. I know that. No. Yeah. Oh,
0: absolutely. I think I'll start with it on Sorry.
2: Yeah. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of know, I've heard this lesson before, so I kind of always going a little bit you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something that said says relativism could only exist at any, at any level as a critique of modernism, right? So modern, the modernist says, We've discovered all of human nature and what's right and wrong, so a critique of, well, you don't know, there, maybe there is no right or wrong, that's definitely relativism and is a critique of modernism, but are we, do we live in a completely relativistic culture? I think that's an interesting question, and I think our presumption would be yes. If we didn't all feel like we were kind of being, Grant was trying to trick us. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> trying to trick you. There's no <laughs> doubt. I think yeah. say yes. Yeah, like, what you see relative morality and true for me and true. That's that seems like that's the way that the news and Hollywood and you know Twitter would depict um, questions of morality, at least on the surface. It certainly feels like that's what we're um, like bullied into feeling like we have to mm-hmm. so like publicly. Like, I don't want to say, I don't want to stand firm on any topic anymore because of my, well, maybe like my lack of conviction. I hope that's not true, but mostly because you feel like you're going to be told that you're doing something wrong if you do. So, I I, I mean, I feel like we're made to to feel like publicly we have to. And then when you get in circles with people who
1: I'm let William and Craig tell you that you're wrong. you oh, you ready to Let's do that? That's right, yeah. yeah. You should give me a heads up. Yeah, we're ready.
0: <laughs> Alright, it's gonna take me a couple minutes to get William and Craig on
1: the screen. You were supposed to be ready to go, Kyle. There he is.
0: It's like the least... It's like the I don't know if you
1: guys can see it, the TV's not quite big enough, but...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's stretching this 240 p to go to the max. It's a little, it's a little grainy.
3: Don't we live in a postmodern society in which these rational apologetic arguments and evidences are no longer effective? Since postmodernists deny the canons of traditional logic and rationality and truth, these apologetic arguments are worthless. Uh, All we can do is simply share our narrative in today's culture and invite people to participate in it. Well, in my opinion, this type of thinking could not be more mistaken. The idea that we live in a postmodern culture is a myth. The idea that we live in a postmodern culture is a myth which I think is perpetuated by youth ministers (laughs) and seminarians. In fact, a postmodern culture is an impossibility. It would be utterly unlivable. Nobody is a postmodernist when it comes to reading the labels on a bottle of aspirin or a bottle of rat poison. If you've got a headache, you better believe the texts have objective meaning. People are not relativistic when it comes to matters of engineering, science, and technology. Rather, as Sean so beautifully displayed for us, people are relativistic and pluralistic in matters of religion and ethics you see, that's not postmodernism. That's modernism. That's just old line verificationism and positivism, which says that if you can't verify it with your five senses, then it's just a matter of personal preference or emotive expression. We live in a cultural milieu which remains deeply modernist. In fact, I think that postmodernism is one of the craftiest deceptions that Satan has yet devised. Modernism is dead, he tells us. So don't worry about it. <laughs> you don't need to fear it any longer. Forget about it. It's dead and buried. Meanwhile, modernism, pretending to be dead, comes back around in the fancy new dress of postmodernism, pretending to be a new challenger. Oh, Your old arguments and evidences are no longer effective against this new opponent. You better simply get rid of them, lay them down. Instead, just share your narrative. And so Satan deceives us into voluntarily laying down our best weapons of logic and rationality, and as a result, ensuring modernism's triumph over us. If we follow this suicidal course of action, then the consequences for the church in the next generation will be catastrophic. Christianity will be reduced to just one more voice in a cacophony of competing voices, each sharing his narrative and none of them commending itself as the objective truth about reality, Hmm. while scientific naturalism continues to shape our view of how the world really is.
1: Okay, so... I watched this video and I thought, well, that's, that. like, my initial reaction was, that's not true. Like, for years, I, like, I've been railing on postmodernism and I've been, like, I feel like in, in the church, like, we're, you know, we're, we've been fighting against this idea of postmodernism. And so, if, like Craig says, we're not postmodern, but we're we're just still modern, just like we always were, um, what happened? It's like, what happened to, 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 to ensure that we remained modern. Now think about why does anyone turn back and, and go back or turn and go back to where they came from? Why do people turn and go back to where they came from? Like think about uh, like when you were a kid and you walk, ventured out into the dark a little bit, like why did you turn back and go back to the porch, the, the safety of the porch light? You got scared. You got scared and, like, and you, and you kind of realize that, like it's more comfortable here and, and I, I can see I, I kind of know what you know, kind of what's going on, and like he said, like postmodernism is utterly unlivable. Like it, 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 you know, it leads to nihilism. Like that, that despair that we talked about. That's what postmodernism leads to. If you have, if, if you can have no conviction about anything true or meaningful, then it leads to total despair. And so, um, we turn around and we. Go back to where we came from because we we realized that maybe it was more comfortable there. Maybe like this idea of not being able to know anything is like we know deep down inside that's that's unlivable. Like no one can live this way. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche is often credited as being one of the first philosophers to kind of sever ties with modernism and kind of usher in this era of postmodernism. And I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard his parable of the madman, but I'm going to, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read the whole thing here. It's kind of long, but it's not that long. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God. I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? Asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? Asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage? Immigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. "'Whither is God?' he cried. "'I will tell you. We have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving?' away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually, backward, sideward, forward, in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as though from an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as, a, as yet of the noise of the gravediggers who are, who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine de- decomposition? Gods, too, decompose. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners, and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground, and it broke into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said, then. My time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Listening and thunder require time. The light of the stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. So you go back and you look at at Craig's claim that we are not a postmodern culture, and, like, you read that and you can see why, right? Like, you know, Nietzsche was—he didn't believe in God, but I think he was honest, you know? He was honest about the consequences of, of, of killing God, of, of essentially having a society that's devoid of, of, of any standard of morality or goodness or justice. Um, the implication of a, of a postmodern life where there is no truth— I think it's just too depressing for people. Like, it's just, it's just not something that I think most people really even wanna think about or can deal with. Um, no one can, this, it's not possible, but, but certainly no one wants to live this way. I don't know anybody that wants to live that way. And furthermore, I, we live in a society, and this is kinda where I wanna get to, and, and then maybe we can get to some discussion afterwards about this and see what you guys think. I think we live in a society that is extremely concerned about justice. Like I would take it a step farther than what Craig says. Like Craig says that we're modernist and that, and that um, like issues of ethics and morality are, are just left to personal preference. I don't even think that we that 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 we live that way. I don't think anyone. I think most people don't talk about uh, the Me Too movement as if it's an, an issue of personal preference or racism. You know, whatever side of the debate you're on, you know, like, it's just not really the the way that you see us interacting as humans in America in this, like, kind of like laissez-faire, you're like, well, this is just my personal, you know, moral preference. You know, people make truth claims that are very definitive from all sides, right? This is just the way that we live. And if you're like, if you, I mean, I just go on social media. This is why I'm not on social media anymore, because it's like. Yeah, man. there's a lot of just, man, there are a lot of truth claims being thrown around, right? And it's, um, there's a lot of um, angst, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of vitriol. And people don't get angry about things that they just believe are personal preference, right? You get angry about things that you're deeply convicted about. So I think Craig is right. I don't think that we are postmodern. I I think that we are postmodern in name only. Like we are postmodern in the way that we speak in terms of like, like because we know that without a higher authority, we have to speak in language that that sounds postmodern. But then we always come right back around and make these objective truth claims, and oftentimes we do it in in a way that is filled with all kinds of of um, anger, right? And so, and and or not maybe not even anger, just conviction. People are convicted about what they believe in two thousand and eighteen. So, um, I don't think we're post-modernism, postmodern, but what do we do with that nagging question? The one that Nietzsche alludes to. And modernism says that you can know. Modernism says you can know this, but postmodernism replies, well, how do you know that you know? How can you know? Well, and this is my opinion, again, but I think you, you, you cue the age of pseudoscience, right? The answer, I think, is that simple. You study something, you submit it to a journal, and you get it published, right? And so now when the question comes up of how do we know, we can say, well, there was that article published in that social scientific journal about canine rape culture in dog parks in Portland, Oregon, right? Did y'all read that, right? Did y'all read that one? So it was published, right? It's science, hashtag science. That's a true story. So like a group of researchers, and this has been, whether it's ethical, what they did has been debated, but a group of researchers recently submitted a bunch of bogus research studies and with just these ridiculous premises, to all these journals, and many of them got published, and that was one of them. Rape, like this rape culture at dog parks in, in Portland. So, I don't want to go down that road too far, <laughs> you know. But the, the point is this: people can't embrace what postmodernism has to offer, which is that there is no truth. That is unlivable. Like I don't like even like my, my most postmodern friends that I would say are, you know, like would have like a. You know, a sticker on the back of their car that talks about you know everybody you know coexist or whatever. Like they don't live that way. They they uh, these friends that I have are are they are, they are espousing deeply convicted moral truths, things that they believe are not negotiable. Right? Um, our preacher when he taught on on nihilism, he, he talked about this. But the, the logical conclusion is that if there is no truth, then there is no meaning in life, and it leads to nihilism. It may be more pertinent today. There is no justice. That's why I go, that that word is so important. It should be important to us as Christians, right? That's too depressing for most people to think that, like, justice is just an illusion. You know, it just doesn't, there is no, there's no objective thing that is, that is real justice. I think that's too depressing for most people. So, just like when you were a kid and you ran out into the dark and and ultimately to return back to to the porch light, um, I think that we haven't really entered the age of postmodernism. Like maybe we like ran out for a second and thought, oh man, this is this would be fun, and then we're like, wow, this is really dark and depressing. Like I've got to go back to what I know, which is modernism. And I think we've just kind of tweaked the definition of modernism, and like we've uh, we've like added pseudoscience now. We're like, okay, we we we've got to answer these questions of morality. So let's create, you know. All of these different studies and and let's bring that in and that's how we that's basically our system of morality the pseudoscience so now when we are asked the question of how we know something we say well because we studied it you know we studied that and we figured out what was right what was good for human flourishing and we figured out what was just
2: or we have
0: three or four like cults of personality that we say well so-and-so said that." that yeah
1: yeah they said it they're the authority right yeah and so and that and man all sides do that right And so we still have statistics and charts and meta analysis empirical data we have all this but it, which is convenient because you can study anything you can study you know rape culture and, and at dog parks in Oregon and you can make numbers say what you want them to say and you can make a case for morality Based on whatever you already, whatever presupposition you already hold, and then it's even better is you can publish anything, right? You can get something published, um, and you can find someone to publish uh, just about anything, as, 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 as has been proven. So think about this. Think about. I think this is so true. Think about how much power that gives us. We get to, de- to determine what's true by what we study and how we study it has so much power. God's not dead, right? We are God, which is why Nietzsche said of killing God is not the greatness of this deed too great for us. Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? Like that is brilliant. Like he was a brilliant dude. He knew the implications of killing God. And so must we not become, must we not become our own gods? And the answer is yes. In the 21st century, we have become our own God. We've become our own standard for morality, and we've created our own system of, of whatever our own idea of justice is. And the irony in all of this, and this is the thing that I think Craig gets, you know, gets so right, is that many Christians have thought that to remain relevant in today's culture, we've got to become postmodern. Like, I, and, I, and you see that. It's very common in the church so we start saying things like, "Well, this is just what I believe," or "This is my truth," or "This is my story," or "My narrative." This is just what's true for me. And if you look at churches where this is the message, like, they're withering; like they're dying on the vine. So you've got these huge stone churches with beautiful stained glass windows, and like nobody's in them, nobody's there, and new people aren't coming. Like this, this is, it's not effective. And so when people ask, "What is the truth about reality?" and we answer, "Well, we don't really know." We can't be surprised when people don't respond to that. You don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. You never see Paul being like, "Well, it's just true for me that Jesus, you know, approached me on the road to Damascus and blinded me, and it's just true for me that he rose from the dead." You know, that's not how Paul approached it. And Paul turned the world upside down, right? So we can't be surprised when we embrace postmodernism in our approach that like it's truthfully like totally impotent. Like it is, it is not effective. There is no church that embraces postmodernism that I know of that is like setting the world on fire. And so we all long to know, like we want to know what's right. We want to know what's true. And we all long to know how we know. Like we want that, which is why the message of the gospel I think is so uniquely beautiful it's funny how the gospel i was talking to my brother about this the other day the gospel is always uniquely beautiful at no matter what time in history it appears you know at a time where people were 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 you know where racism ran rampant and and jim crow and slavery you go back and you see like the love of the gospel and how it just cuts right through the heart of all that it's so uniquely beautiful during that time period and then at a time where we are we're supposedly morally relativistic like the gospel cuts through all of that too, the truth of the gospel. It is so uniquely beautiful, no matter what time it appears in history. It doesn't take too much effort, I think, to see that, that pseudoscience it doesn't really satisfy that deepest craving in us, just to know, and to know how we know. It does it doesn't leave us feeling whole. And I think ultimately we know something's not right. Like you can kind of trick yourself into thinking that like that what you believe is true based upon. Some presupposition that you have, but like I don't think it's beautiful, and you, you've talked about a lot about that. I'm sure this past few weeks, I don't think there's anything beautiful in that. The gospel says this: we can know because God has made Himself known. God isn't dead; He's alive. He's resurrected, and His Spirit lives in those who refuse to make themselves God, but instead look to their Creator for all knowledge. So that sounds bizarre. Right, especially to somebody who, who doesn't know God, that like God would live in you and, and like talk to you. It sounds bizarre, like that he would communicate to you and he would, he, would, he, would, he, would, he would give you knowledge based on his, his living inside of you. But I don't think it's any more bizarre than the alternative, right, which is that we're just here with no explanation. That's really bizarre. Like If I'm going to choose which one's more bizarre, I would say that is more bizarre, that we just poof existed out of nothing for nothing. That's bizarre to me and so the idea that a God who created me who could like bring all my flesh together and like like, you know, like, I, I think you know, my favorite class right, was biochem because you see how the body works and you're just like man it's amazing you know so a guy can that can do that I, I feel like he's capable of like speaking to me right and living inside of me I don't think that's as bizarre as just nothing for nothing so listen to John 17:3. I'm getting close to the end um John 17.3 says this, Now this is eternal life, that you know uh, that they know God. Or I'm sorry, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the eternal life is that you know God. That's what eternal life is. So inter- eternal life, which includes meaning and purpose, right, is just this. Know God. So we think, man, one day, and I think in our tradition, we've talked maybe some about this, but in our tradition, in in our church that we, that we go to. And historically, there's been this idea that like, oh yeah, that's a one day thing. That's a, that's an out there thing. Like one day we'll know God when we get to heaven, we'll know him, you know, and then we'll have eternal life. Listen to what first Corinthians two says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in human words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of, of the Lord so as to instruct him? But... We have the mind of Christ. So if this is true, if it's true that we have the mind of Christ, and if what John seventeen says is true, that eternal life is to know God and Jesus Christ, then what does that say about eternal life? Like when when does it start? Right? It starts now, right? Like if 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 it's true that eternal life is to know God and then 1 Corinthians says that, that like we do know God because we have Jesus' mind, we have God's mind. Then that means eternal life isn't some out there thing that, that oh one day I'll know God, one day eternal life will begin. Eternal life begins the moment the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. That's when eternal life begins, in that moment. So you don't have to wait around, I'm just waiting to die. Like That's not the life of a Christian, that is horrible. What a boring existence as a Christian. Like that should not be our idea of like, man, I'm just waiting to for this life to end so I can go to heaven. While I'm here, I don't really know what to do. I'm just going to kind of like, I don't know, I'll go to work and I don't know, I'll just wait to die. You know, that's that's miserable. Like that's not fun and, and that's like certainly not interesting. You know, that's not something that sounds very enjoyable. I, I, I would hate to like, that would be my sales pitch. Hey, you should be a Christian where you can just wait to die with, with me and all of the other Christians. I mean, if that's true, you, you probably are, you know, you're probably living like you're dead already, right? Right? So, you know, this is the thing I believe that does satisfy our deepest cravings. I know God because, or I know, I have knowledge, and I know because God has revealed it through science, which is good. Like, let's use science. Through science and nature, God is speaking to us through his creation, right? You can look at a human body or look at a Yellowstone or look at whatever and know that you know, look at the birth of a child and know things about God just from creation. God speaks to us through creation. God is saying something, something through science and through creation. But more importantly, and I, I don't think we need to leave this one out. More importantly, I know God because His Holy Spirit lives in me. Right, His Holy Ghost lives inside of me And He has given me the mind of Jesus I actually have the mind of Jesus like I believe that is true And then day by day, month by month Year by year, I know Him More and more, and as I know Him more and more I'm traveling further into eternity That's what eternity is It's to know God And that starts now So This idea It doesn't really matter what it is Postmodernism, modernism, none of none of none of the isms can answer these these questions of how you know things beyond a God who reveals things to us. We can't definitively say that we know anything. You know, you know, we can't definitively say that this isn't just a, is a complete illusion. And so. Um, there is, I believe, truth in that, and I think there is beauty in that, and I think it is satisfying, and ultimately, I think it leads to a peace that surpasses all understanding. So, um, zima you have any thoughts on that? Um, maybe, maybe you think that we are maybe more postmodernism than Craig would would have us believe, or. Okay, so
0: I went ahead and actually stopped the podcast before a lot of our discussion uh, ended up being quite a lot. I was sort of figuring that was going to happen. Really great discussion around a lot of these ideas, and uh, man, I wish I could sort of summarize those for you now, but just know it was some good stuff. Um, I think there's a lot to think about with a topic like this, and I think there's a lot of ways in which uh, we've allowed culture to influence the church and the way that uh, ministers think about these sorts of things. I think it's also true as we think about worldviews and philosophies that from an educational standpoint, we've sort of siloed the way that we uh, choose to educate ourselves. So let's say if we're a minister, well, we go down one path and we don't learn any more about science. We don't learn any more about other ways of thinking, uh, sometimes philosophy, and we just strictly study maybe the Bible and methods to minister and theology and Greek and things like that. Now, if we go down the scientific path, well, then oftentimes we neglect philosophy or religion. And so we're sort of siloed into these other uh, completely different worlds. And then it often turns out that if you know someone were to ask us a question about something, we give sort of a canned answer or we maybe reference some sort of perceived expert. And I think it's problematic, I guess. And so I would say that if you're a, a layperson in a church, ministry, evangelism, understanding, Theology; Those are not things that you tithe to a minister for. These are things that you owe it to yourself to explore, to understand, to read about, and to learn deeply so you can share with other people. In the same way, I would say of a minister that you don't need to just know one thing. I think that truth belongs to God. And he reveals himself through all different types of things, including science, including his word, I think it's all worth knowing about more. And so I I think a group like this is about that. It's about, for medical and dental students, a pursuit of knowledge that is not something that they will normally encounter in their studies. And it's not to say that science isn't important or that medicine or dentistry aren't important, but there's certainly more to life than just knowing those things. We shouldn't silo ourselves. Um, So I think postmodernism, it thrives in a society that has siloed intelligent thought of a variety of issues and on a variety of topics and so that was one of our our discussion points and i guess i'll let that one kind of marinate for you Uh, we'll be back next week with our final discussion on worldviews. this will be a discussion on nihilism Uh, eric gentry will be here who is the preacher at highland church of christ eric does a wonderful job whenever he's here and i've seen this topic and he did a great job with it so i hope you will return with us next monday night for the MDDDS podcast. Thank you so much, we'll see you soon, bye bye.